This is Youpreneur FM, the official podcast of the Youpreneur Mastermind Community, a place where no entrepreneur gets left behind in their pursuit of building a business they can be proud of. And now, and now, now. here's your host, serial entrepreneur and best-selling author, Chris Ducker. Chris Ducker. Well, hello there and welcome to episode number 298 of Youpreneur FM. Thank you very much for being with me. It's an utter pleasure to have you inserting me into your eardrums today in one way, shape or form. It's great to be with you. Very, very important show lined up. We are sitting down with data law protection expert Suzanne Dibble to talk all about GDPR today. If you are not aware of this, it's a new regulation, new set of laws that affects every single person, quite frankly, doing business anywhere in the world with people that are based in the European Union slash European community. So make sure you listen intently to this. However, before we go there, don't forget tickets to our annual conference in London, England are on sale right now. Yes, you can head over to youpanasummit.com for all the info you need to be able to understand exactly what's going on over the course of the weekend and why you should attend. And not only, obviously, where you get to be able to see great speakers like Jay Bear and Anissa Holmes, Jenny Flintoff, Andrew and Pete, Dale Beaumont, Greg Hickman, Jada Selna, Carrie Wilkerson, and a host of other fantastic names, but... You'll also be able to meet your fellow youpreneurs, people who get it, people who are in the game just like you are, that are wanting to build a long-term, sustainable, future-proof business, something that they can truly be proud of. This is for anyone in any major industry sector out there, speakers, authors, coaches, consultants, business owners, bloggers, podcasters, you name it, whatever your industry, this is the conference for you to be at. I would love to see you there in my hometown of London, November 3 through to November 5. Make sure you head over to youpreneursummit.com for all the info for a full schedule and all that fun stuff as well. I want to see you there, okay? So on to my conversation with Suzanne. Now, for those of you who follow me on Facebook, you'll know that this was actually originally posted right at the end of April there to make sure it was super current because GDPR came into effect on May 25. So if you want to go and watch the split screen video interview of this version of the show, um, or this episode of the show, I should say, all you got to do is head over to my Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash chrisducker.com. That's D-O-T-C-O-M at the end, and you'll be able to check that out. However, because I'm a very productive little busybody, um, I'd already batched and recorded and had everything edited for the show right the way through to the end of May and through to the end of June when this was actually recorded. Hence the fact that here it is right at the beginning of July for you to enjoy. So a little late in regards to um, sort of getting this to you in your eardrums like this, but the content, the info is gold. It has been available to my hardcore listeners and followers for a while. And if you're not one of them, can I ask why? I mean, why? Seriously. Um, So anyway, you can head over and get the video version if you want, or you can just carry on listening right now as myself and Suzanne break down lots of major reasons why GDPR is so important and the really big questions like, what do I do with my opt-in forms? What do I do with my existing list? Has been answered in this conversation as well. Here's myself and Suzanne. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
So, Suzanne, welcome to Youpreneur FM. It's great to have you with us. Great to be here. I've been a lifelong fan, so it's a real honor to be here. No, the honor is all mine. It's all <laughs> mine because I, I feel like you are about to bring so much clarity to my good self among with the Youpreneur nation out there. Um, some, some have been very eager, eagerly awaiting this conversation. A couple of reasons. Number one, the podcast as it is, is an audio podcast. So very rarely will I do a video version of the podcast, but because I'm such a productive productive little bee. I've batched a little bit, as you well know. So we're going to get this out video first to make it super current for everyone. And then the audio version will be coming in a little later on. So today... Well, I'm, I'm glad I did my, did my hair and makeup in that case, Chris. <laughs> Me too. Me too as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it takes hours, I tell you. Yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> all right. So look, today <laughs> we're going to be talking all about GDPR, what it is, what it means to us online business owners, all the rest of it. You are, or you have become very much the leading source of clarification and information on this subject in recent months. You're a very busy lady currently. So, um, you know, I've got kind of like three or four main areas that uh, members of our Youpreneur community have kind of highlighted as big question marks for them. And I know you're going to give them all the clarity in the world that they need on this stuff. But I also just want to, I want to leave the door open here. As and when we're talking, if you feel like we need to go off on a tangent, let's do that. But I guess the best way to be able to begin this conversation is to, is to ask this big 800 pound silverback gorilla of a question. What is GDPR and why is everybody freaking out right now about it? <laughs> uh, yes, well, people are freaking out. My, my message is very much you don't need to freak out and we'll yes. come on to that. But um, what is GDPR? Well, it's all about data protection. Now, obviously, we have data protection laws uh, that exist at the moment. Um, in the US, they have you know, forms of data protection laws. In the EU, we already have data protection law. But certainly in the EU, our data protection law came into force 20 years ago. And obviously, a lot has changed with uh, what we can do with data these days and, and how it's processed and then the uh, you know, things that we can do. You, you, we wouldn't have ever expected that the Facebook Cambridge Analytica case could happen. You know, the, the, the course of elections could be influenced by personal data. Um, yeah. And, you know, potentially changing future events. Uh, so it's only right, in my view, that, that legislation catches up with what, what we're doing with our data and, and also recognises the importance of our data. The Economist uh, quoted recently that data is now the world's most valuable asset. It's not oil anymore, it's data. Uh, so we need a really robust level of protection uh, so that you know, as consumers, we're happy to still uh, give our data because you know, so much of... Uh, you know, today's modern services and the way that we live our life is dependent on, on us being comfortable in sharing our data. So what is GDPR? It's really a, a supercharged data protection law. And what's really given people the, the focus on this area, and, and indeed what is leading to a bit of the panic, is the fines which have been dramatically increased. So at the moment in the UK, for example, the maximum fine for a breach of data protection legislation would be £500,000. But under GDPR, that's going to be 20 million euros or 4% of your global turnover for the last 12 months, whichever is higher. 
Now, if you're Facebook, for example, and Facebook are obviously currently being investigated by not just, um, you know, they're not, Mark Zuckerberg isn't just testifying to Congress, but the UK's Information Commissioner's Office is also investigating, as are data protection authorities around the world. 4% of Facebook's turnover from last year is 1.8 billion. Okay, so that's the kind of teeth that this new regulation has. Um, now, saying that, of course, I don't expect for one minute that any of the people who are listening to this, Chris, are going to get fined 20 million euros or anything like that, uh, because there are, you, you know, really, that's, that, the fines are reserved for the most serious data protection breaches. Um, so it's about the protection of personal data. Uh, in summary, before we get into the intricacies, does that answer your question? It does, absolutely. So what we're talking about here is 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 names in in terms of what we will be discussing oh. today, anyway. Particularly yeah. names, email addresses, first and foremost, probably the two biggest ones. Um, possibly address details. Um, possibly credit card details, PayPal details, that sort of type of thing. Uh, am I right in saying it's all of that and the above? Yeah, so we're dealing with the processing of personal data. And personal data has a really wide definition, which would include all of the things that you've just mentioned. It also includes things like online identifiers, so arguably uh, cookies, IP addresses, things like that, to the extent that they can identify uh, a living individual. Um, so it's, it's a very wide scope. Processing is also wide. So some people have said to me, oh, I've got an old list of email addresses from five years ago. I'm not doing anything with it. Surely I don't need to worry about that. Um, but the actual act of storing data is, is processing. So yes, you would need to comply with uh, the regulation to the extent that you store data, for example. And it's very right, wide. Pretty, right. much, pretty much everything that you do with personal data is uh, is processing and it falls within the scope of, of GDPR. Okay. All right. So let's get down to the nitty gritty here then. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people that I have spoken to recently uh, within the online business world, the, the, the two really big main areas that they're concerned about are number one, the marketing of their businesses and the collection, particularly of names and emails and opt-in forms and things like that. And number two, their existing list and what they should do, what they must do and what they kind of don't have to do, but they kind of maybe should do uh, as, as part of this process as well. So let's, let's go to the first one first. Opt-in magnets, opt-in bribes, opt-in offers, whatever you want to call them are huge, right, in, in the online business world. I mean, this is what a lot of us utilize to be able to grow our businesses and make money. I mean, you offer an opt-in magnet or offer of some kind that solves a problem. Um, somebody gives up their name and their email address to gain access to that download or that video or whatever it is. Uh, you then have their name and their email address for as long as they don't click the unsubscribe link at the bottom of one of your emails. And you can then go ahead and obviously, you know, market to them on a regular basis. You can send them just plain good old fashioned high value content, uh, or you can try and sell something to them at some point in the future as well. So this is huge for the online business world. What, you know, the very, the vast majority of opt-in forms that are out there are either first name, email address, submit button, or if they're really lazy, just email and, and submit button, right? So mm -hmm. where are we with this? What must we have on our forms 
to the public eye as part of the opt-in process to be able to comply properly with GDPR. Okay, so before I answer that question, I just need to take a step back and explain about the lawful ground of processing. So the first question to ask yourself is, am I processing personal data? If the answer is yes, then the next question that you have to ask yourself is, do I have a lawful ground for processing that personal data? Because if you can't, if you don't have a lawful ground, you can't do it according to the law. Okay. So what is a lawful ground? Yeah, so a lawful ground. So as marketers, we tend to get hung up on consent, uh, you know, tick boxes, that kind of thing. But consent is just one of the lawful grounds of processing. Okay, so the, the, what comp, there's, there's six of them, but there's four that we would commonly talk about as marketers. The, one is, con, is consent, and that's where your tick boxes come in and things like that. The other is contractual. So if you um, are maybe uh, quoting for a job or something like that, um, then that would be even it's either if a contract has been formed or you're in the run-up to that contract, then that would fall under contractual ground. So you would not need to uh, give a uh, checkbox to somebody in order to reply to an inquiry to give them a quote or something like that. Okay. Um, the, the other ground is a legal ground. Uh, so if you're required by law, um, then you don't have to get consent for that, obviously. An example for that, um, you know, we don't often talk much about the impact on employees that GDPR has. Um, but if you have employees, for example, and you're required to get social security information from them because you're required by law to do that and to pay your taxes, then obviously you wouldn't need to get consent from employees to do that. Um, so that's the three of the grounds. And then the fourth one, which is a really interesting ground, is legitimate interests. And this is where um, you as a company have a legitimate interest in the processing. The recitals to the regulation say that direct marketing is an example of legitimate interest, but you have to balance that with the rights and freedoms of the individuals on your list. Okay, so if you're doing something that is in your legitimate interest, but it's not really affecting uh, you know, the, the person that you're sending the email to, for example, um, then that's, you know, that's a lawful ground of processing. Now, it's not quite that simple. It's quite a gray area. You'd have to follow a balancing test to be able to rely on legitimate interest. But essentially, that's, it's an appropriate ground where there is a relationship where the, uh, the person would expect the processing. Okay, so an example might be existing customers that are on your list. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so in my view, con continuing continuing to market to customers who've already bought stuff, particularly where you're sending them emails about that are very relevant to what they've already bought. If we should clarify, sorry to interrupt, but we should clarify at this point that these are customers. These are people that have customers. already bought yeah, something from already, you, not just opt-ins, yeah. right? Yes, okay. exactly. So for, for for customers, for example, you you might. Uh, well be able to say, I'm sending you marketing emails based on the legitimate interest ground of processing. Right. So you wouldn't need to go and get consent from your customers. And that also becomes relevant when we talk about going out to our list and getting re-opt-in consent. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so in my view, you wouldn't need to go out to your existing customers to get to them to re-opt in to the marketing. You could rely on legitimate interests. Okay. Right? Now there's a few, a few issues around that in that you, you still have to advise um, those customers as to what you're doing with their data. So everybody will need to, to put together a new privacy notice um, and you will need to contact those 
those existing customers and say, hey, here, you know, due to these new European data protection regulations, we've, we've updated our privacy notice to be even more clear with you about what we're doing with our data. Here you go. But you wouldn't, ne you wouldn't necessarily need to get an opt-in consent from those existing customers to continue to market to them. So let me ask you this as a follow-up question on that point right there. And I've been getting privacy update uh, emails from every company on the planet that I subscribe to over the last week or so. Um, but here's the question, and I guess this is where some of the gray areas begin. We've obviously done our due diligence in updating our privacy statement on our on our websites. Um, we have now sent out an email to everybody that's on our list to say, hey, we've updated things to make things super clear, blah, 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 blah. Understand industry standards between 15 to 20% open rates on any email list. Are we still covered from a compliance perspective, letting that person know, even if they didn't open or read that email? If, if you're relying on legitimate interests and you're not, you know, you know, not requiring consent, then yes, you, you have informed right. them. We've of, informed them uh, and that's of, that. Of, of that. And obviously what you'd also need to do is, is update the privacy policy on your website. Yes. Um, you know, maybe in your, you know, your client, when you're taking on a client, you would build that into your client take on process so that you are sending them a privacy notice at that point as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, if people, okay. you can lead, lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. Can't, can't get so, them drink. You're absolutely so, right. <laughs> and, and also a common misconception is that you have to get people to agree to your privacy policy. You don't because consent is just one of the lawful grounds of processing. Right. So, so it's an advisory document. Um, now people can object, and you have to say this in your privacy notice, that people can object to the processing on the grounds of legitimate interests. And if it's direct marketing, then that's an absolute right. So effectively, you would have to opt them out if they, you know, if they didn't want to receive the marketing. Sure. And the way you do that in a similar way to if you were relying on consent, you have your opt-in at the bottom, you know, the bottom of each, e sorry, opt-out at the bottom of each email. Um, yeah. And obviously have a system in place so that if they opt out, you don't send them any more emails, you know. Simple as that, um, yeah. Which, which we, yeah. you know, we should have all been doing anyway, everybody tuning in, right? You know, Absolutely. that's that's a given anyway. Okay, all right. So that handles the privacy update and kind of well, letting actually, people know sorry, about before, it, right? Yeah, before we, just because I, I talked about just customers there, so I don't want to give people, you know, the idea that they can rely on legitimate interests for everyone. I think, well, you made the point briefly, but just to make sure people understand it, that is just for customers. So if you've got right. prospects on your list... Um, then chances are you're, you're going to need to get consent from those prospects. Um, and that would mean that you need to go out to that list of prospects before the 25th of May, because once the 25th of May comes, if you don't have a lawful ground of processing, then legally you can't continue to process that data. Now saying that, there's not a vast police force of data protection police that are going to go round and check that on the 26th of May. So this is all right. a, it's a risk analysis for people. But if you want to do it properly, I mean, the, the way that you're going to come to the attention of the authorities is if you get a complaint. Sure. Um, or, or if a competitor wants to trip you up or, you know, that's the, the sort of more likely route, really, um, for, right. for businesses of our size and scale. Um, but, you know, it's, it, I think the, the potential for customers to complain as they become more savvy about their rights, for example, um, you know, it increases. So, like I say, it depends on, on your appetite for risk. But if you want to do things and know that you're doing it right and that you're not going to have problems down the line, then send your email before the 25th of May, ideally as part of a re-engagement campaign, because if you just send a very dry, legally worded email, 
you know, once before the 25th of May, you, you are only going to get not going to work. Yeah. Of your list yeah. Opt in. So you need to put your marketing spin on it and tell them why it's, it's going to be really exciting for them to hang around on your list. Now, obviously if you've got a list that already isn't brilliantly engaged um, and your messages are going into spam and then they're never going to see that re opt in uh, question, then you might want to consider doing other things like, you know, Facebook retargeting and things like that with a really high value lead magnet to get people re-engaged before the mm-hmm. 25th of May. So yeah. it's really important that people start thinking about this now and not on say the 24th of May, because by then <laughs> it's pretty much too late. Another question I get is, is do you only have one bite at the cherry at this? So if you send out an email and people don't take any action, then is that it? Well, no, before the 25th of May, you can send them as many reminders as you like. Of course. Obviously, you've got to do it in a sensitive way because if you, know, if you send them 10 reminders, they're just going to get pissed off and not opt in anyway. So you need, obviously need to do that sensitively. Now, an interesting point on, sorry to, I know I'm talking a lot here, but... Uh, oh, no, you um, carry on, but I do really, want to get really to some follow-ups. Go on, go ahead. Really interesting point, actually. Um, I was reading about the psychology of, of decision-making, and particularly when related to opt-ins and opt-outs. And if you just have an opt-in um, or do nothing, then people will err to do nothing because when people can avoid making a decision, they tend to do that because people are busy, they don't want to think about, you know, the ins and outs, whatever. Sure. If, you had, if you had two buttons on your email that says, you know, one says, yes, continue to send me all of your amazing content. Uh, n- number two, no, I'd rather go and stick my head in. You know, you know put things in, make it amusing, but you have a, basically an opt-in or an opt-out button. People will be more encouraged to actually make a decision. Now, if they did nothing anyway, you would have to opt them out. Yes. Okay, but it just encourages people to make a decision one way or another because they're presented with that yes or no option. So that's Now, we a- should say, though, and this is what I wanted to kind of just put in place here, what we're talking about here are people that are in the European Union specifically, right? We're not talking about having, having, that's the big word there, having to do this for our entire lists at this point. So I've got two, I've got two follow-ups here. Number one is more of a statement. Number two, more of a question. The statement being, you might actually just want to do it because the chances are you haven't been cleaning your list as well as you should do anyway. So, you know. Exactly. So maybe this is going to kick you up the butt a little bit and actually get around the cleaning list off. I've got a sneaky suspicion that a lot of email marketing companies that are out there that charge per subscriber are going to start losing quite a lot of money over the, over the next few weeks and few months because a lot of people are going to be cleaning their lists for this. And why wouldn't you want to do it anyway, everyone? Just go ahead and do it. It's much better to have a smaller, super engaged, cleaner list than a much bigger one that's dirty and grimy and never opens your emails. The second thing, I think, and, and this is a question here because I, I, I'm a proud ConvertKit client. I've been with them pretty much since day one. I know the principle of the company very, very well. Um, and I have a very specific question that I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be able to shed a lot of light on here. So inside of ConvertKit, one of the main things that they've done to update everything at their end to make it easier for their subscribers, and honestly, they're kind of like the main, like, 
game changers here. Like a lot of the other companies really seem to be dragging their feet a little bit on this. I've actually been very impressed with ConvertKit and how they're jumping on this. Um, One of the things that they've done inside of their segmentations are or is a all subscribers within the EU category, basically. The big issue with this, though, Suzanne, and, and, and I know that, again, you'll be able to give me the clarification there, hopefully, is what happens if somebody has opted in or purchased something from you before in the past where, for whatever reason, they have either, A, not been in the EU when they've done that. Maybe they were over in the US connected to a, a US IP, or maybe they were using a VPN, you know, one of these weird IP cloaking devices that kind of stops people seeing from where you are. Um, what happens then? I mean, like, so for example, if I've got a thousand subscribers and 400 of them pop up as being in the EU, but I think that doesn't sound right to me. I'm sure there should be some more. What about the more? What about the others that aren't clearly defined as within the EU based on the IP addresses when they opted in? Where do we stand on that? Yes, it's an interesting one because the wording of the act talks about in the union, it doesn't, it doesn't talk about, uh, so data subjects in the U, within the union, it doesn't talk about EU citizens or residents or anything like that. So arguably, it could include, you know, people who, you know, when, when, when they subscribed for your uh, freebie and they got on your list, they uh, were in the US. And then, you know, a year later, they've moved to the EU. And whilst you're processing that data, then yes, they would, they would count, you know, as, a, as an EU uh, but obviously, we never know where anybody is at any one time, right? I mean, we can't keep tabs no. on every single one on our lists. No, that's right. And just on the, the sort of territorial application, because I think, you know, with your audience, it's kind of key to spell this out. Um, so the first thing is, is that if you are established in the EU, then this applies, obviously, and it applies to all of your processing of personal data. Okay, so if you're thinking about, you know, getting your reconsent for your um, opt-ins for your email list, then yeah, send it, send the the reconsent to the whole list to the entire list, uh, right? To the entire list. So, it, but if you are say in the US, um, then uh, you know this only applies to to people within the EU. Um, so, in the US, it would be possible to segment your list and only get consent from people within the EU. Like I said, you might you know, just for good practice do it anyway. But legally, that's the the scope of it. Now, people have, in, in terms of the wider scope of, of whether people say outside of the EU are included in this or not, um, it, it, it's, it's a lot of people were asking me, okay, well, I've just got a website that people can access from the EU. Does that mean that I'm within scope of this? Um, and there is some guidance on that. And if you are just, just the, the mere fact that people from the EU can access your website isn't sufficient, you've got to have an intent to offer them goods and services. Okay, so if you have a you know, reasonable number of people from the EU on your list, then, and, and you're, you know, you're marketing them with, you know, along with the rest of your list and you're regularly sending them details of goods and services, then clearly you have that intent to offer them goods and services. There's also a limb that says if you're monitoring their behavior, okay, so if you've got things you know, like cookies and, and you're you know, monitoring behavior across or the Facebook EU. Facebook pixels for retargeting and all pixels. that kind of stuff, right? Exactly. It's also caught. So it is quite wide. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, if you've got minimal, if you've got really, you know, literally there's just a few people from the EU, then, you know, I, I probably would speak to a lawyer to see whether it's in scope. But in reality, 
are you, you know, what, what, I think what, that's what you've got to do. You've got to have a sense check, haven't you? And if, you, if you've only got literally a couple of people on your list from the EU, then, you know, how, how are you going to come to the attention of the ICO? Only if those couple of people happen to complain. Right. Yeah. What's the likelihood of that happening? You know, not, not very high, is it? So we only need to no. take a bit of a risk. I mean, but I mean, in, you know, the, the, in reality for anybody tuning in and, and either watching or listening to this right now, you know, they're clearly going to have people from all over the world. It's just the nature okay. of the online business right. space. But I mean, going back to my original question for me, particularly, can I trust what ConvertKit pulls out as just EU only? Just say, for example, I wasn't going to clean my entire list, um, although I'm going to. So for you guys tuning in, if Chris does it, you should do it. You know this already. So I'm going to use this opportunity to get really up to date with my own list. I, I suggest you go ahead and do likewise. But if I didn't want to, Suzanne, can I trust ConvertKit uh, when I select that auto EU IP? I mean, there might can be other people them? that, I mean, yes. you know. I mean, it's, again, it's risk, isn't it? You know, I think the chances are they would probably get to you to 95%, 99%, something like that. Okay. And then, and then it's a risk analysis on that 1%. And I think, you know, I wouldn't worry about it is my view. Um, I so I, I was going to ask you, what would you do personally? What would I, you do? I wouldn't do? worry about it. I would not right. worry about that. You know, I mean, it's impossible, isn't it, for you to, to actually, you know, go and find out whether people have moved, you know, well, that's in theory what we should be doing because we need to keep our data up to date and accurate. But right. a lot of the time we don't have, you know, we don't have um, physical addresses of people. So mm. we can't, you know, we can't uh, check that. Um, IP addresses, I guess maybe you could do a, a check on IP addresses every now and then, but it's not, it's not reasonable within the, the confines and the scope of our businesses. So I don't think that any regulator could ask us reasonably to, to go to that level to, uh, to comply. But if, right. you, if you've got a product, a solution that is saying to you, these are the people who are in the EU, then I think, you know, you've, you've gone as far as reasonably might be expected of a small business. Totally. I completely agree with you. Okay, great. I'm glad we got that cleared up. So back to the marketing, back to the opt-in, where do these tick boxes come into play? How many do we need to have? Is the double opt-in important? What kind of potions do we have, you know, in front of us to be able to do do we have to do all of this or can we do half of it? I mean, again, risk analysis, I know. Um, but where do we stand with this? I mean, let's say, for example, sake, we've got our first name, we've got our email, we've got our submit button right now. We're delivering our emails directly. There's no double opt-in needed or anything like that. Or there's no double opt-in in place right now, like 90% of the people in, in, you know, on the planet doing this. Where do we stand right now? What do we need to do in that situation to get that opt-in page or that landing page compliant for GDPR? So what GDPR has done is it's, it's hired the standard of consent. Okay, so that means that pre-ticked boxes are out, opt-outs are out. There's got to be a, a positive affirmative action by the individual that signifies their consent. Uh, so yes, a tick box is a, a good example, a good way um, of getting that affirmative action. Well, hang on. So let me ask you this. If I can play devil's advocate then, surely inputting your name and your email address and hitting submit yeah. is consent enough? I mean, yeah. surely I'm not it, the only one that's going to say that, yeah. right? You no, know, absolutely. So if you are just provided, if you're saying, do you want this amazing free report, pop in your email address, then yes, that is implied consent that they want that or they wouldn't have put in their email address. What you're right. not 
getting consent to is then popping them on your list and sending them, you know, lots of follow-up emails. Typically, if you want to be, you know, put things beyond doubt, you would have a tick box at the point of your opt-in. Okay. Uh, which says, I agree, you know, I would love to receive details about your offers and promotions, you know, et cetera, and your marketing wording around that, but essentially right. an opt-in the marketing and what you also need to do is link to your privacy notice at that point okay because you have to provide the relevant information at the point of collection of the data Uh, Um, is there any specific wording that we need to and obviously i know that you've got a great gdpr compliance pack and we'll talk about that towards the end of the the conversation here but i mean is there any specific specific wording that we need there or is it just literally privacy policy with a link right underneath the button or should we say something else you can, say, you can say something like you know we we collect and, and use and protect your data in accordance with our privacy notice or our privacy policy i use the words interchangeably and then link to it like i say you don't need a tick box for the privacy policy that confuses a lot of people okay, okay. you're just getting the tick box for the ongoing marketing to that person so this is yeah? good i mean this is a good thing like i i, I mean i've been saying this since day one since the first time i heard about gdpr i was saying it's it's a pain in the butt to get everything sorted out maybe you know depending on how many landing pages you've got or whatever but ultimately this is this is a good thing it's going to clean the industry up a little bit okay so we've got our tick box we've got our name we've got our email we've got the submit button We've got the privacy link and with a little bit of a thing on there. Your right to opt out. Make sure that's there as well. So you can... What's the right to opt out? So just a statement that says you can opt out at any time. Oh, okay. Simple as that. So that can just be underneath along with a sentence that says, you know, blah, 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 privacy. Okay, good. Good, 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 good. Now, they hit the submit button. Do we need to have a double opt-in in place or surely we've done enough already up front? Yeah, no, GDPR does not make the double opt-in mandatory. Uh, So it is a good way of evidencing consent. It's arguably good practice, uh, but it does not say anywhere that you need to have a double opt-in. The only where the the guidance does suggest that it might be appropriate is where you're dealing with special category data or sensitive data. You know, things like health data, um, you know, stuff like that, which might not be relevant. But so if you, if you are processing things like, you know, um, uh, ra- racial data, sex, sex data, uh, political data, that type of thing, then just be conscious that there is a higher level of consent. And you sure. Really need to the block to but for us online business guys and no, girls, we, we don't have to worry. An email, you know, and a name, that's, you know, that's it. Okay. Yeah. The only other thing to say on that is don't bundle your consent boxes together. Okay, you need to give people genuine choice and control. So you need granularity of consent, uh, which really means you can't say uh, tick here to sign up for our marketing and we'll also transfer it to a third party for them to market to you. You'd have to break that down into two different tick boxes. Okay, so click here to get your goodie and click here if you would like to hear from third party, you know, JVs or whatever. Okay, good. That's good. That's a good thing. We're cleaning the mess up. This is good. Okay, all right. My last point then, and then we'll go into a few other bits and pieces here to wrap up. My last point is in regards to employees, specifically virtual employees, and even more specifically, virtual employees that are not even in your country. So as you well know, um, I was and still am the VA guy, right? So I mean, there are 
literally thousands and thousands of entrepreneurs around the world who have hired virtual assistants in the Philippines and elsewhere um, based on all of my great content up to this point. And it will continue to be great, you guys tuning in, I promise. Where do we stand on this though? So for example, I'm sitting in the UK, I've got a virtual assistant in the Philippines who has access to my ConvertKit account because she's the one that sends out the weekly emails, et cetera, et cetera. What do I have to do about that? Have I got anything to worry about? Yeah, it's reasonably complex, but yes, you do have to think about it. Um, the challenge is in the practicality of actually you know, doing what the regulations say that you need to do. But effectively, those people are what is called a processor. They are processing okay. the personal data for which you are a controller. And that brings in a whole uh, raft of, of the regulation, which talks about what you need to do with processors. So in, in summary... And com controllers can only use processes that are GDPR compliant. Okay, so there's a legal obligation on you, Chris, to only use processes, which would include your virtual assistant who is, you know, using your accessing and processing your personal data. You can only use her legally if she's GDPR compliant. Now you can so how does she become... Exactly, I was going to say, exactly. surely there's grey areas until the cows come home on this one. Yeah, surely. and it's all, it's all a risk-based analysis, obviously. But yeah, in, in theory, you know, if there was a data breach because she'd left passwords lying around or whatever else, and um, someone attacked into that, um, that account and, and downloaded all of those email addresses and, and had spammed them and fished, you know, sent phishing emails and had compromised financial information, then that would be a data breach that you would be obliged to notify the ICO about within 72 hours of that data breach. Right. Okay. So, okay. so I think it's, the risk of this happening is quite low, but it's a risk. Okay. And the, what the regulations say is that you have to have a processor <laughs> agreement with your processors that lists about eight or nine things um, in that agreement. And there's an example of that in my, in my pack. Yes. Um, but in summary, if you think about the logic of it, there's no point having all this protection for the data in the controller's hands, but then the controller can pass it to whoever they want to process it, and suddenly there's no protection of that data. Okay? Okay. So, so really, I think for, from there, uh, in terms of minimizing the risk there, it's about the security side particularly. So it's making sure that VAs are really um, you know, conscious about not... Um, you know, not sharing passwords, about making sure that you, you yourself have got good password protection so that when you stop using that freelancer, you can revoke access to all of their yes. passwords yes. to your... your so maybe you're using something like LastPass or OnePassword or something where everything's encrypted and you can just go ahead and click a button and they no longer have access and that kind of stuff. Yeah, okay. Exactly. And then that they're really clued up about confidentiality and things like that. But yes, there are steps that you have to take. Now, if they're outside of the EEA and it involves a transfer of data outside of the EEA, then there's another step of hurdles to think about. And if they're in a country where there's not been an adequacy finding, which essentially means the EU have said that their level of data protection is as good as ours. Mm -hmm. then okay. Said, the Philippines is going to be on that list. I guarantee it. Right. <laughs> it's not on that list. There's only right. 10 or 12 countries, 10 to 12 countries, I think it's 11 actually, that are on that list. Okay. Uh, and if they're not, uh, if they don't have that um, adequacy finding, then you have to put another form of contract into place, which is called standard contractual clauses, which again is in my pack. Now, again, this is what the law says, Chris. Okay. Like mm. I say, there is not this fast data protection police force that is going to go and check every single freelancer that you use. You have to do a risk analysis, but, but it, the risk is there. 
you know, in the, if there is a breach and you're in that, you have to report it and you're well, investigated and the ICO say, hang on a minute, you've not done this, 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 and this, and this, then the, there's a potential of fines. Yeah, sure. Okay. But I mean, number one, you, you wouldn't have, knowing the online business world, uh, you know, as well as we do, you wouldn't have someone with access to, for example, ConvertKit, Infusionsoft, ActiveCampaign, whatever processor you're using for your, your email marketing, you wouldn't have someone with access to that unless you genuinely trust them in the first place, right? So that's the first thing I want to state right there. Um, the other, I think probably the other it's, it's question... Not, it's not so much that you trust them, it's, that it's whether they can be hacked into or not. So I think, right, just, right, right. You, know, you know, you need to have a, a, a sort of system in place that tells them, you know, just some sensible precautions that they can take so that the data isn't compromised in any way. So signing, you know, out of the account once they're done using it, not leaving browser tabs open, uh, screensaver passwords, computer passwords, all that sort of type of stuff, really, which is yeah. standard security for yeah. any yeah, for any absolutely. corporate computer at the absolutely. end of the day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm trying to think whether there's anything else I wanted to touch on, and I can't think of anything right now that there was. You have an incredible Facebook group, which has just blown up in the last few months with this. I'm a member in there. I know many people that are as well. We will go ahead and link to that Facebook group in the show notes directly underneath this video. If you're watching, you're probably likely to see this on Facebook before you hear it on the podcast. So I'm going to link directly to the group there as well. Plus, we'll have a link to uh, Suzanne's GDPR pack. Thoroughly suggest that you buy this for peace of mind, if not mainly for the, for the ease of use of everything that's in it. It really is a one-stop shop for everything you need to make sure that you've got your bases covered on this. Um, and uh, you can go ahead and grab that at chrisducker.com forward slash GDPR pack. Suzanne, anything else you want to add here? Is there anything else we've missed out that you feel that our youpreneur uh, community should be really paying attention to here? It's, it's, it's a very wide and complex regulation. So there's definitely lots of it that we haven't covered. But I think we've hit on the main areas of concern for people in your community. I think the main thing to do is, is not panic uh, and, um, and, and not you know, get hung up on the every slightest, tiniest potential breach of, you know, breach of the regulations and non-compliance. If you take a sense check, I always think, you know, would in terms certainly in terms of emailing people using their data, would I be happy with that as a consumer? And if I would, then I take the view that you know pretty much everyone. You're always going to get some people that are a bit you know vindictive and whatever else. But you know generally, if you take that approach, you're not going to go far wrong. And like you say, you know just good practices to list hygiene and, and telling being upfront with people, telling them what you know what what you need to, what they need to do with it. And there is, I think, an area on. I don't think we've got time to go into it now, Chris. But just to mention it, an area that will probably interest your audience is all about Facebook and advertising because that's reasonably complex. Let's, let's go Facebook into it a little bit out. then. Let's give, give okay. us a little bit of a give us a little bit of a thing. Yeah, go. Okay, so I went. To, I was speaking at a GDPR conference on Monday, and there was a couple of marketers who were giving a seminar to a packed room, hundreds of people, who basically stood up and said, "GDPR means the end of Facebook advertising." Okay, so <laughs> okay. I, asked a, I asked a question, um, and and they were like, "Well, why would you be doing Facebook uh, target, retargeting anyway?" And I thought at this point, I thought clearly you don't really understand this, do you? You know, I think they were more sort of traditional marketers who didn't really understand. 
Um, but this woman, you know, sort of said to me, it's, it's, you are going to need to get consent as a tick box consent for your Facebook marketing and nobody's ever going to opt in for that. Mm. So, you know, and how are you going to, um, you know, if people don't consent, how are you going to, um, or if they opt out, how are the, how are you going to manage your, you know, your audiences within Facebook to reflect that it's, it's just not going to work. Um, and, and, and my view is that you don't need consent for that. You would rely on legitimate interests, but again, you would need to, um, document your decision-making process there and do that balancing test, uh, and make sure that if people are opting out of your email list, it makes sense to regularly update your custom audiences. Yes, so of course. So that you are taking them out of those, you know, retargeting, for example, and things like that. But, but I mean, my, my reaction to that is, and I'm sure as a very smart business owner yourself, you'll back me up on this. Like, why the heck would you want to continue to spend money retargeting somebody that was on your list six months ago that's no longer on the list because they opted out because they don't want to know, know anything from you anymore? Like, why would you want to spend that money anyway? Exactly. I can tell you right now, for you guys tuning in, every single time we start a new ad campaign which retargets our email subscribers on Facebook, the brand new list of only confirmed active email subscribers is downloaded and uploaded into our custom audiences in Facebook. It's just simple. You know, it's the way to do it. I don't understand why you would want to spend money trying to get a hold of people that don't want to hear from you anymore. Mm. Um, so, uh, that is, the, that's the one thing to note. The other thing to note is that, um, when data is on a platform, a social media platform, then Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or whoever it is, is the data controller. And they have got the lawful grounds of processing for the data on the platform. So I got a lot of questions about, oh, can I still in-mail people through LinkedIn? Well, yes, you, you can, because the, the platform has enabled the, you know, has, has either got the consent or is relying on legitimate interests or whatever else for that functionality. Okay. It's the point when you download that data from the platform that you become the data controller and mm. then you need to have that lawful ground of processing, whether that is consent or legitimate interests or whatever it might be. Okay. That's perfect. That's great. What about actually one last question is it just popped into my head. What about the people that we use to help sell our stuff, create opt-in pages? I'm thinking about things like lead pages, Samcart, you know, those kind of companies. Surely they're obviously going to have to do their side of things to make sure that they're compliant as well. Do yeah. we probably a very low ball question here, but I mean like, do we carry on working with them if they're not GDP compliant? you know, beforehand well, or like, what's the deal with that? Right. Yeah. Um, that is, that is the question. Certainly in my Facebook group, we have a spreadsheet of people like that and their answers to our questions about whether they are GDPR compliant. Uh, so some are totally embracing it. Some are dragging their heels a little bit, but what we have seen is that uh, I think somebody contacted Zippy, Derek Halpin Zippy courses, for example. Um, mm -hmm. and initially the response was, nothing, you know, we don't need to comply with this, you know, not, nothing to do with us, etc. But after, after a couple of weeks when they'd had maybe 20 people go to them and say, you know, what's going on here? Are you, suddenly they changed their tune and all credit to them. They are now, you know, fully on the way to becoming GDPR compliant. So yeah, it's really right. important to understand where those kinds of providers are um, in being compliant. Now, obviously I was talking before about sending processor agreements uh, to your processors. You know, if every person that used MailChimp, for example, sent a processor agreement to MailChimp, 
clearly that's not going to work because I've got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of customers around, uh, you know, around the world and around Europe. Um, so what they do is they've updated their terms and conditions with their users that incorporates all of the protections um, that the GDPR says that you need to have. Um, so you don't need to send the processor agreement to the big guys. Right. They'll, they'll handle it. But, but definitely people like you know, your virtual assistants, people who are doing your Facebook ads where you're sending them uh, your email list or they've got access to that to do your custom audiences, then they are processors and you need to be thinking about those extra steps you need to take, particularly mm. if, they're, if they're outside of the EEA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. This is a really good conversation. You've done a great job in answering all my questions. I very much appreciate it. And and by answering my questions, you really answer the questions literally of tens of thousands of online business owners around the world because we're all asking the same ones in one way, shape, or form. SuzanneDibble.com for more info. I want you to go ahead and check out the Facebook group. I will link to that, everybody. And again, to get uh, a hold of Suzanne's GDPR compliance pack, you can do so. I thoroughly suggest you do. ChrisDucker.com forward slash GDPR pack. Go and get it. Get it in you, as they say. Suzanne, thank you very, very much for being with me. It was great to talk with you. I look forward to conversing with you more as we continue to grow our online businesses. And hopefully, we'll have you back on uh, maybe not so further down the line. We'll talk about a few other bits and pieces because I'm sure this isn't just the only thing that you can help us online business owners <laughs> out with, but it's the main thing right now, right? It's definitely the main thing right now. I'm eating, sleeping, and breathing GDPR at the moment. <laughs> It'll be interesting you, to see what happens on the 26th of May. People will just be like, okay, I'm done with that now. You know, yeah. that's it. We don't, need, we don't need Suzanne in our life anymore. Thank you so much kind of thing, right? Well, well I'm, I'm taking we'll, the summer off, so I'd be quite happy about that. <laughs> I suggest you probably do as well. Well, I, I, I thoroughly appreciate everything that you're doing for the community. It's great. Thank you very much for being with us. I very much appreciate it. And uh, we'll stay in touch for sure. So I've got a quick question for you. What are you doing November 3rd through to the 5th later this year? Nothing? Good. Because we'd love to host you at the annual Youpreneur Summit Conference taking place in London over that very weekend. You're going to get the chance to learn from the best expert speakers in the world, network with them up close, meet and get to know hundreds of other Youpreneurs, as well as devise a plan of attack to grow your business faster than ever before, all over the course of just one weekend. For more info and to secure your place, just visit youpreneursummit.com and tickets are limited. So don't hang around. Do it today. That's youpreneursummit.com. I'll see you there.